Episode 34 of the Quasar Us Podcast for Americans who love Spurs talking Tottenham. We are coming off kind of a weird week. The last time that we spoke, the last uh, episode that we had was right before the Champions League match against Milan, which we were all like 50-50 about. It felt like we were all kind of like fives and sixes in terms of our Jesse, confidence level. Did Jesse say 10? Did he say Jesse 11? Said 10, 10, he said 10 and 10. Jesse's also a lunatic. Um, so yeah, he was talking himself into that. That's a wish cast, I think. Yeah, I think he I think he tends to do that a lot, but we need that sometimes. This uh yeah. sometimes this podcast can get a little depressing. <laughs> we we need that voice of optimism. Unfortunately, he's not here today. So if you came here looking to hear some optimism, you're probably not gonna get that much of it. Wrong place. <laughs> yeah, you might want to skip. I think you'll, this still get, you'll still get a little bit. I, there's, I, it's I feel not like by the time this is done, but by the time this is done, we'll have something positive to say. I, there we I go. There feeling. we go, Kimmy. So we go into the Champions League match. We're not really sure exactly what we were going to see, but I'm pretty sure we didn't think we were going to see what we saw, which was pretty much we no showed. Like we didn't even put up a fight against a pretty weak Milan side that was content with basically just giving us the ball and tempting us and seeing like are you going to do anything with it and the answer to that question was no we, we did not do anything with it uh we had a lot of possession and and not very little of any uh, uh, not very much of anything else um and then Romero with a boneheaded red card there was the Davinson substitution that that all the fans booed about I mean, a lot of this stuff has been talked about at this point because um, it's like about a week ago. But um, I, you know, we're probably going to spend more time talking about the Nottingham Force match. But I am curious to know, Kim, what your takeaways were, what your thoughts were watching that match, and um, I guess just where you were mentally <laughs> after the the game ended. Mentally, after that match, I was just resigned, and it like we 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 didn't have like a lot of confidence going into it. At least I didn't. I was sort of like hoping we. I was like, if we show up, and the fact that I have to say if we show up just already puts a damper on the game. And then when when I saw the lineup, I was like, all right they should be able to do something um but they just came out with seemed like very little energy and were very unclinical when it came to the final third um I felt like nothing was coming off and part of that was AC Milan just sort of knew where to be knew what we'd want to do and worked to work against that but other I think other than that our team just wasn't very good like I just didn't think we played a very good game and you can't manage to score against a team that's it's not that great defensively, but then they're also not trying to to be that offensive as well. So it's one of those things. We were ineffectual in breaking them down and that was just disappointing because we were at home. So you would think there would be just a little more impotence to the team's performance. I thought we had more possession, but I'm looking at the stats now and it's showing 54%, um, which is a little surprising because I, th- I thought we dominated the ball. We only managed nine shots uh, to their 14, two on target to their three. What's the expected goal on that one? The expected goal difference? I don't know, but I can I can find that. Hey, I can look it up too. I was pretty surprised to see us come out that flat at home in the, you know, the round of 16 <laughs> to just have so little... So... like. I, go ahead. I mean, I that's the other the thing, though. Like, oh, go ahead. Yeah, it was. Um, we had 0.47 to their 1.42. So, <laughs> yeah. so they probably should have scored, and, oh, and we sh- and we didn't do anything to deserve to. I mean, by all accounts, the crowd was up for it, and like within 15 minutes, they were basically just lost their energy because they were watching a bunch of crap. And it's one thing to say like. We need our fans in full voice and we don't want all the energy we can get from the home crowd. But like you also have to give them something to root for. And the crowd basically got taken out of the game because 
usually you get taken out of the game because the opponent's so good. We got taken out of the game because our team was so bad. And I figured we were going to come out in the second half with at least a little bit more energy. I was thinking this was another typical first half, second half thing. When we came out in the second half and it was just as slow, you know, boring football, man, that was depressing. Well, Ben, let me ask you this. We're now out of every cup competition. We lost the Carabao Cup to Nottingham Forest, which just got promoted. We lost in the FA Cup to Sheffield United, who's about to be promoted, but they're currently a championship side. Yeah, who just and, got and, relegated. And, and, and just got relegated. And then we lost in the Champions League to an AC Milan side that is likely going to be the worst team in the quarterfinals. And so I I wonder from your perspective, Ben, like what is happening in these cup competitions? Like, do you think that there's some sort of mental block with the players? Is it a tactical issue? Like, why is it that we're not seeing the performances that we saw against Man City in the league or against Chelsea in the league or even this past weekend against the same Forest team that knocked us out of the Carabao think- Cup? Like, what's happening there? I, I mean, I don't know this for sure. I don't We'd have to look at the numbers, but it seems like we're kind of bereft of what kind of style to play when we're not able to get on a good counter. Like when, when the other team lets us have the ball too much, we've got no incisiveness. We're just kind of ponderously kicking the ball around. There's just, there's there, we're lacking creativity. We're lacking the like pain with an playing with a high enough tempo to create space. Uh, I mean, this is, like I said, I don't have any statistics to back this up. This is more of just thinking the uh, the tactics of <clears throat> Conte wants to, to his his system is designed to to be lethal on the counter, but that's about it. And then the other thing I, I would say is that I know that for a lot of the season, we've been talking about how our defense is, is you know, all over the place. Um, I would say our offense has probably been more disappointing overall than our defense this year. Like we've just... We have not been able to, other than than this past week, how long is it, how often are we scoring two goals even? Just two goals. It's barely ever happening this year. It's you know, it's interesting one, you say that because like the, the numbers don't support that, but I still agree with you. Like the eye test tells you that our offense is bad, even though we've scored more goals than most Premier League teams. I think that also just has to do with the fact set that. Set pieces. Well, yes, set pieces, but also like the league just isn't, that good this year yeah quite frankly like there there aren't a lot of great teams which i think is why you're seeing arsenal do what they're doing they're also playing really good football i'm not saying that they aren't but i also think a lot of the teams that are usually good aren't really playing that well and that's why you're seeing that huge gap and the big fight right now is the relegation battle. There's like half the league is at threat of being relegated. So I think that also says something about the state of the Prem right now. Um, But even like looking at this game against Forrest, which we'll get to in a second, we had 56% possession. So like this is a game where we actually had possession and did something with it where we weren't relying on counterattacks because Nottingham Forest didn't really do anything when they had the ball except give it back to us but we were still able to create offense. And I'm wondering why we weren't seeing that same effort against Milan, who kind of did the same thing in a way bigger game. Like it, I, I don't know how to make sense of that because it was literally like three or four days earlier. We looked awful. And then it was like, okay, we're out of that competition. And now we can just play the football. I, it's the same well, another, players. Another thing is, Another thing is, is is going back to you're asking about like the cup competitions. Well, I, I know that there's the content has a reputation for not rotating and not being able to play two matches at once. I don't know why that would always be the midweek matches that are the ones that we crumble. But obviously, a lot of cup competitions are held midweek. Although I think when we got dumped from the Carabao Cup, that was a weekend, right? So it doesn't completely hold water. But uh, there's something to be said for our lack of rotation um, and. I don't, yeah, I don't entirely know, but you've seen, we, we, we haven't looked great against some of these, these weaker teams in the premier league as well. I feel like we've literally looked better against the better teams for the most part. That's not all, all over the place, but this year, I mean, we've looked better against city in both games, really, especially the second one than we have against most of the other teams. So I, I really think that being able to play on the counter to basically play the style that we're set up to play is the only thing is or is the main thing that I think it really hurts us when we play some of the weaker teams is that 
we're trying to adjust um, to something that I don't think it doesn't look like we probably train on that much. Really, we don't. That's not the way our team is set up. I mean, I think our biggest problem is that we have too many individuals in our squad that are technically deficient. So, if hmm. I, I think that's a like that's a problem that we suffer from is we don't have enough guys that are like technically gifted in a way that like you look at some other teams and the technical ability across the board is just eye popping and we don't have that. So it's a lot of graft and sometimes that comes off and sometimes it doesn't. I think that's a big part of our problem. So I feel like if we would improve the technical ability of our squad, our team would just be better. I think a lot of the debates among Spurs fans that you see both online and, you know, hear it in the pub as well is like, is this down to the manager? Is the players to blame? What's happening? Is there there some sort of mental block that's taking place? Um, Is this how he's telling them to play or can they just not carry out the tactics that he's giving them? Where do you stand on like seeing the cup competitions and the way that we've performed so poorly in three different competitions now? And not to say that we've like been gangbusters in the league because we haven't, but for all intents and purposes, we're one point behind third. So we've played better than we have in the cups. So like Kim, where does it come down to for you? Like, is it just like the players just aren't good enough or is it something else? Are they not trying hard enough? Is there some sort of mental block? What, what is this all about? Honestly, in prior years, like, I mean, at least in the pot years, getting out of like the round of 16, you kind of like once he got in the Champions League, it was something that would happen. Like for him in the cups, he, he was getting to the semifinals and like he was regularly getting to the semifinal. Like that was in the League Cup. It was like semifinal. That's what we what we do. We get there. We might fuck up when we get there, but we would at least get there. Now we're like getting knocked out of the, you know, the fourth round of the FA Cup <laughs> and, you know, like the third round of the, the League Cup. And so to me, it, it just, a lot of it to me is that lack of rotation. And Conte has just proven, I think, across his like managerial career that two matches a week is a little too strenuous for his teams. His team isn't, that he, isn't he supposed to be like a top five but, manager but, in the world? But his even his his teams will win the league, but they will crash out of the cups. Like his teams of Inter, we played them one year. Was he at Inter then when we played them? No, I think he might not have been at Inter then, but they were in the Europa League. They'd get out and like, you know, they'd drop out from the Champions League. They'd always make the Champions League. They'd drop out from the Champions League. You'd see them in the Europa League. That was just like a regular occurrence. I wonder so, if that has anything to do, rather than being rotation in midweek, like I was bringing up earlier, I wonder there is just a different, especially you see it in finals, but cup competitions, they're just like a little pagier than normal, right? Teams aren't getting out on the front foot to take the risk because that one goal is so important. Whereas in a, you know, a league game where one result is isolated and it doesn't tie into anything else, teams are much more likely to get numbers forward and not be as worried about conceding. I, I, I'm just, again, no numbers to back this one up. But if you think especially about, finals in cup competitions like how the the um champions league finals often like one of the more boring games you get because both teams are afraid of conceding and losing so they both kind of play defensively meaning that neither side has space to counter so i wonder if there is just some 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 tactical uh side of the way team teams by and large play in cups that, that plays into this and and by the way real quick i, I was just looking up some numbers and so our our uh, expected goals versus goals scored, we're we're running ten hot goals there. So our expected goals are are thirty nine. Our actual goals are forty nine. Whereas our expected goals conceded is thirty one and a half, and our actual goals conceded is thirty seven. So I think that kind of shows that our defense, the the gap between our defense and offense is actually different than what it looks like. It looks like our offense is outperforming our defense by a little bit, but not as much as it seemed like. And I I really think that a lot of that has to do with uh, more pressure being put on our defense because they'd be forced to defend a longer period of time. It's like uh, in in the NFL, right? When 
you have a, a team that doesn't run the ball and it keeps coming back to uh, the other team gets getting the ball over and over and over again. You have the defense on the field for a lot more time. You start huffing and puffing. They're going to get tired. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that there's something to that. I, I think the outperformance on offense also has to do with the fact that we have Harry Kane. <laughs> and set pieces. And he, has, he has 20 league goals. I mean, well, Sun, though, has almost done enough to undo all that. I would say this, the set pieces are probably the biggest one there, just because, again, at least early on this, this year, we were scoring from set pieces, I mean, pretty pretty uh, routinely, whereas almost any set piece is like, what, a point one at most? <laughs> there, there are very few set pieces that you have a, a huge expected goal number unless you have an unmarked header in the middle of the box. Which, well, like six of yeah, those um, expected goals – come from Kane. Kane has scored 20 goals and his expected goals is 14.86. So yeah. you know, some of them just like literally half of those come just from Kane. So yep. Uh and I Where? would say the the other one is set the other one is the the other five goals probably do come from set pieces. Those, what wait what's, just what are sons just as what are sons expected goals? Oh numbers. no 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 don't uh, look that up. Yeah I probably shouldn't oh, shouldn't have gone I'm, I'm gonna cry. Don't go negative <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm still going to do it. But we should move on to the Forest match because he scored in that match. So, you know, well, that go. was the, that was the next thing that I was going to say is that, like, Ben, you were just bringing up the point about Conte or Kim, you were bringing up the point about Conte always crashing out of cups and kind of focusing on the league. And he wins the league because he's only playing once a week. And everybody's been saying that even since the last season um, after we we're out of the conference league, how that's kind of when we started catching fire mm. and like clockwork, as soon as we have no cup competitions, we go and score three goals. We really scored four goals, but we'll talk about that in a second um, and win a game in, in a, in a fashion that we have not seen us win in some time, even when we beat Chelsea and West Ham, I don't think it was as dominant. A lot of that had to do with Forrest being very, very poor on the day. Very but team. it it was it was a little like is it just that easy is as soon as you as soon as you don't have any other games to worry about now you guys can just play I, mean, I don't know force was the perfect i think this force was the perfect opponent for us to yeah it's like doc, dr uh dr forest yes yeah, yeah, as long as it's not a care about cup match yeah i know i was gonna say it didn't help us when we were losing the championship clubs in uh Care about finals but, here, but no post post uh, Milan. It was like the perfect match to have, and they let our midfield basically do. We just they did whatever they wanted in there. It was like there was so much space between their midfielders and their defenders, and so our midfielders were just like in pockets of pockets of space. I mean, that's how the Richarlison non goal, <laughs> the goal that happened, but didn't. What happen. a pass by Skip on that though, too. Um, really that, like but Skip he he this. was just able to lift his head up and see Richarlison making the run, so he made the pass. It was right. a great pass. Love Skippy for that pass, but he, there was no pressure on him. He was like, "What the hell? Oh, there it is. I'm just lofted up there. See what happens." And so I just felt like. That was the start of the game. That happened in the first two minutes. And I felt like that just set the stage for what happened for the rest of the game. And like they tried, but I I also feel like we were we were better, but also they were bad. I feel like it was a combination of both things. Like I think we would still probably win this match like 2-0. Yeah, we could have probably scored like four goals easily. I mean, we had chances. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we did chances, score four we had chances. Goals. <laughs> we well, did we score did, four yes. goals. It's <laughs> funny fact. because when they show the replay of the of the VAR decision, I'm sitting there thinking, "Oh yeah, he's good." And then, the, then it, when like, it starts it's, taking it's, that long, yeah, right? it's it took too del- long. It took too <laughs> once long. The, once the delay happens, and you're like, "Wait a second, there's wait, they're not gonna call this back, right?" And then it's now, like the moment the moment they're there was still reviewing it it's like yeah once they're reviewing it for too long it's like when they review it and it's onside the review is usually shorter i've never seen a very long review result in a goal i even think back to that nonsense cane goal that they pulled back in the champions league group stage um and they were reviewing it for like six minutes and then we're just like, yeah, no. I feel goal. like we've had an inordinate amount of those. I know every team thinks this, but I feel like we've had a lot of those go against us. I know we've had some go for us in the bar era, but I feel like we've had a lot of really, really close offside calls where the dude's eyebrow is offsides 
go against us. <laughs> they, they really need to fix that, by the way. They need to have the, the players and the ball, everything having sensors and have it automatically done. I don't see how we're at this point. We've had this technology and this many sports for this long, and we still have them out there with like 1980s technology drawing lines to see if they're one millimeter further. I mean, come on. Like there's the margin of error has to be a little bit bigger. Um because you know how they were talking about the thickness of the lines determining whether or not he's offside. Like that's ridiculous. And then this should be happening almost instantaneously. You should never have to wait minutes to see an offside call. I just that can't be that complicated with Eagle Eye or whatever, you know, the different technology they use in tennis and I mean, the technology they used to see if the if, if a goal was scored, like how great is that? You just have the ref look at his watch and then you know. They have to be able to do something like that. Just have all the players wear sensors, like multiple sensors, I guess, because there's a front and back of them. But I have a lot of thoughts on this. <laughs> I'm trying to like organize them all in my yeah. head without without ranting for too long. One thing for me is this is actually a point that I'm stealing because I, I read someone say this on Twitter, but it seems that there are do you never see a call anymore where they talk about players being level. Think about that. Right. Ever since VAR, that's, that's players why are never level lines or whatever, right? It's either they're behind or they're in front. They're behind By or they're fractions in front. of millimeters. It's, and so when so you're dumb. when you're watching the Richie goal, the players are level. But yeah, that's just not a part of the ruling anymore. So now you're you're going into the minutiae, which brings me to my second gripe with VAR which is the intent of offside is that the offensive player is not supposed to gain an unfair advantage on the defense. If it's that close that you can't tell and you have to draw these microscopic lines, then there's no advantage being played, at which point the goal should just count. Like if you if you can't tell and it's going to take you five minutes to figure out whether or not a guy's toenail is in front of the defender or behind the defender by a millimeter, then just count the goal. Like, do and 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 the other part of it is it does feel sometimes that VAR is looking for reasons not to count goals, which is counterintuitive to like the entire idea of sport. People are cup like people are literally watching the game to see goals get scored. That's what I'm saying. Everything in your power to take it away from fans. I, I don't even understand why they think that's a good idea or how that's bringing any entertainment value to a sport that is there to entertain. Like I, I yeah. just, I do not understand even the logic behind it. Well, that's why I'm saying they the should fun, increase kind of the fun police. The, yeah. Seriously. But they, they should increase the margin for error or whatever. How don't have the terminology for that, but like I was saying, the thicker lines, anytime that you can't figure it out almost immediately, it should go to the, uh, the offense, right? Like you're, you're saying like how a tie goes, tie to goes the to the runner in baseball. baseball. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime that it's even like you have to take longer than, 10 seconds to figure it out. Like as soon as you draw that line, if you can't see with a, a human eye at that point, that should go that should go to the offensive team. Again, I think that this stuff, there has got to be a way to have this done electronically so that whenever there's any question about it, it's answered within like three seconds, basically. The ref has to, again, like check his watch or something. I know that's slightly comp more complicated because you have to have sensors on multiple parts of the player's bodies. That's probably why it's still something they haven't got. Well, that's that's the other thing but. that makes VAR nonsense is like, how are you determining the exact millisecond moment when the, the ball, the ball the is foot. played? Yeah. Right. Like th that is this is all kind of uh, subjective in a sense anyway. So it's subjective when you're pausing the tape. It's subjective where you're drawing the line. And in some cases, it's even subjective which defender they're even drawing the line to. So, like, all of this all seems like if you get a different set of refs, maybe it's a goal. But in this situation, in this game with these refs, it's not. And I, that to me is um, fine in theory, right? That's, that's the truth for any sport with any refs. But the, the, the logic of it still just doesn't add up for me. I love the reaction, and I hate the fact that it didn't count um, because that was just like, after leading up to that game, all the talk was about him calling the season shit and then Conte saying like, yeah, his season was shit. Um, and the whole back and forth that they were kind of having through the media. And so for him to score in the first like three minutes of the game was just like perfect theater. 
And then it expert just, deflection though from Conte on there to basically be like, nah, of course he wasn't <laughs> calling me shit. That was him that he was calling yeah. shit. Like, and then Conte. he starts in the next game. You know, this would have gone on way longer. That was, I feel like that's almost, uh, that's genius to start him the very next game. Like, of course there's no bad blood. He was only criticizing himself. Go ahead and start now after I haven't started you for consistently for all season. He was like, I haven't started you and I'm starting you in the place that's probably the, the least optimized place for you to start on this team but here you go but I appreciate Richarlison coming out and playing hard and just showing that he's what he has to give to this team like that was the performance that you look at him and you see all the stuff you want from him to do on the great pitch, finish right? on that goal too the the uh, the goal that never was but he everything about finish. it was just so it's that's goal that's goal of the month yeah, all they had to do is net. all they had to do is draw the lines differently and that's goal of the month <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing like i'm sorry to keep i'm actually i'm not sorry because this is who you're actually hurting your own league like do you understand you're you're taking away an amazing goal that you can use to promote your own product and you're like no we don't want that <laughs> it makes no sense it's yeah, so no, it's ridiculous yeah it's crazy especially because it's uh, really hard to score a goal like scoring also, a goal in soccer is one of the most difficult things to do in any sport. And they still like, again, to your point earlier, they should be looking for any reason to keep giving goals, maybe not penalties. Penalties are not as much fun, but open play goals. They should be airing so much on the side of mar- the margin should be on the side for the, the offensive team that there should almost never be overturned unless they're just super like that guy was, you know, a yard offside, the ones that you can actually see. Like, I, I almost think that I don't even know how you would come to the threshold, but I almost feel like we should just go back to the old way unless it's really obvious. So they only overturn them if it's really obvious, basically. I don't know what that margin or that, that threshold for really obvious is, but a what clear you're, what you're saying is, of an offside. Yeah, like, what you're saying is get rid of VAR and go back to the line judge. Just make for it offside, <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, oh, wow, it was way off. That's a clear and obvious. Like, they don't even review it unless it's obvious. Like, everybody can see without drawing That's a little. That's never going to happen. They I know it's never going to happen, but. You can't, you can't put that you can't put it back put that toothpaste back back in the tube nope it's out we're stuck with it and it's trash it definitely is trash but you know we scored three other goals though so we scored three other goals (laughs) harry Kane gets a brace he's back at 20 goals it's uh sunny another another (laughs) season for harry i mean i mean nutmeg goal and yeah it was nice Eric Charleston assist on that goal as well. Um, Richie was banned in the match for me. I think the fans also voted him man in the match as well. With Skippy actually as a as the close second. The dance, for me. I just wanted the pigeon dance. That's really what I wanted. And I wanted to Mark see like it's us. it's yeah, it's I wanted to also just see him actually have a goal on the season because right. I think this is his second disallowed goal in the league. Yep. His uh, other disallowed goal was at the game September. Um, versus Fulham at home. Yeah, I mean, oh goodness, though, that's a long, that's a, still a long time between goals. I mean, I will say part of it was definitely, I think, him starting as like a response of like, "All right, tough guy, if if you think me not playing you, then show me what you got." I think part of it was also the fact that Kulusevski's been poor, um, so like dropping him probably wasn't that difficult of a decision. I think Kulisevsky needed to be dropped. There are times where you need to sit on the bench. And Richarlison, he showed why you can rotate him in. Like he's this is he's showing been why he should for. be a rotational piece. And it, yes, this is this is definitely what we've been asking. We've literally for. been asking for him to rotate. Like it, it's not it's not rocket science. Like, come on, man. Anyway. Yeah, Ben, I, I forgot what you were saying, but I. Oh, no, I was just. I, I think you were the one who brought it up, and I cut you off, and then I was bringing it back up, and I got cut. Anyway, it was. Yeah, we're yeah. just cutting each other off. I know. We're, what a rude we're, podcast. We're, we're Richie and Conte <laughs> over here. Yeah. No, I was. Uh, we were talking about Skip, how he was able to just. He's been. Yeah. He just stepped yeah. right in for Betancourt. So, I mean, it's just been really impressive. It's been really good to see him back to his best because last year was a really weird year for him. He started off so well, so young had that very strange injury that just never got, you know, just kept going and going and going. He was, it looked like he was going to be coming back in just a couple of weeks for what, like six months until he ultimately had to have surgery over the summer. 
had kind of a slow start getting back into the mix of things this year. And he looks to be back to kind of where he was last year when he was starting to kind of hit, hit his heights. I love that Ollie skip is 22 and he looks like he's 47 years old. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, and and Sar looks super young too. That's like a funny Sar Sar looks like a baby. Yeah. (laughs) You got I mean, like a sixteen-year-old and a forty-year-old out there in midfield. <laughs> yeah, they're the they're same the, age, close to the same age. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think our midfield is so so much more settled than any other portion of of the of the pitch for us. In theory, of course, I should also be saying that about our forwards. But to your point, you know, earlier we well, have not really scored a ton of goals outside of Harry. But I mean, between those two young guys and Hoybier, and then hopefully uh, Bentaker can can come back and and kind of find the form that he was in before he got hurt. And Basu, that's like not a, a really liver either. Yeah, I mean, he he was chopped liver this season. <laughs> but maybe maybe he'll be better next year. But he's also out for the year. So like, I feel like having Bentaker and Basuma out for the season could have been. An actual death. Is blow. he out for the season? I don't know if I knew he was out for the entire season. I, I think I read that uh, this weekend. Mm. I think I read that this weekend. I think Conte actually said it in a press conference. Like he's not coming back this year. Not a bummer. That's kind of a wasted season for him. I mean, it is a wasted season. Oh, it's 100% him. a wasted season for him. Well, just like we were talking earlier, again, about some of these cup competitions, why we don't do so well. And I brought up potentially playing tactically, not set up to play that. I don't see against some of these teams that we should be dominating possession more. Why we don't at least try playing a three-man midfield when that's basically our most stacked position. <laughs> I mean, I know right we, now we, it I isn't. I thought we never brought this up all year. But, it was, it was yeah. at some point, but now it isn't. Now it's kind of weak. So we have to play a two-man midfield now. We cannot yeah. play three-man midfield. Unless they would have moved Kulisevsky into the midfield and let him try to play some kind of deeper line playmaker. If they were to play more of a, I don't know, rather than playing the double pivot like we're doing, play two back or one back and two up or two back and one further up. I don't know. It's not going to happen. So, well, Romero yeah. thinks he's a midfielder for half the game anyway. So, <laughs> um, but this also is also something that we've talked about, right? Like the rigidity of Conte and how he never does anything other than the three, four, three. I think he's done a little three, five, two, like for very, 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 rare moments where like it'll be like the last 15 minutes of a game and a bunch of guys are on yellow cards and he's making rotations <laughs> but like i don't think he's started a game with the three with anything other than the 343 at any point this I season i think he he did he's i think he started in a 352 versus man united away oh i think oh, that was well, a, that's I a think game that, a that i have done everything i can to forget <laughs> <laughs> that game is... If my memory serves me correct, that was a three-five-two, and that would probably bear where Conte said something in the press conference about how the fans have been calling this, and this is what happens when you get it type things. Yeah, of we course. played Hoiberg, Basuma, and Bentancourt with Doherty and Perisic. That's oh, I remember that guy. Forgot <laughs> 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 all about Matty D. Um, hey, yeah, I mean our our new right wing back played pretty well. This uh, this week, look good, man. Since that first yeah. game, which was obviously not great, he's looked. I mean, he, at least on the on the attacking side of it, he's looked really good. And I think that's the natural rotation: is you're gonna play Emerson when you need extra defenders, and you're gonna play Poro against a team like Forest that doesn't pose a threat offensively. So you can afford uh, to play him in a game like that. And in theory, it should have worked against Leicester. But we saw what happened. The thing I did like about our right side was you would see Richarlison sort of play more inside. And Poro was like touching the touchline, like all the way over there. You see the opposite when you see Emerson and Kulisevsky. Kulisevsky is the one, you know, hugging the touchline. And and Emerson's more the one like playing that sort of like middle central role. So Mm -hmm. I feel like those two those two groups probably work well together because they're in the positions they like to operate in. They're in the positions they operate best in. And so maybe we do see more rotation through, I don't know, 
maybe throughout the season, maybe we see Poor and Richarlison as like a team, and then we see Kulusevsky and Emerson as a team. Maybe that's how Conte goes about doing it going forward, putting people in the best positions for themselves. And I feel like you see the same thing on the other side where Ben Davies is more willing to move inside to let Sun run outside when he mm-hmm. wants to. So I feel like that has been to and and they switch positions. You'll see Davies go outside sometimes, you'll see Sun go outside sometimes, but I feel like he does it more often than Perisic would. So I feel like right now, in at least in those areas, you seem to have p- groups of people that can work together that seem to have been working together well. And hopefully we can see that just them build on that. Because uh, I feel like that we have we we haven't felt like a, we've had enough of that, guys that you know seem to work really, really well together as a team attacking wise. I feel like we've we've seen it in the midfield from time to time. We've seen it defensively, but I feel like attacking wise, that's where a lot of what we do goes to die. And if we can see you guys forming like true partnerships, we can see better attacks, I think. Yeah, it's not lost on me that Sun finally looked decent when Parasitch <laughs> was no longer playing. That's that's yeah. been a partnership that I think everyone has kind of been calling for it to end calling for yeah but i mean like in the wins that we had like it's funny um i i like dropped the lineup news in like the queen swords group chat and someone was like oh my god davies as our left wing back and i was like every time we win davies has been the left wing back like <laughs> like lately like davies has been the left wing back and part part of the reason we don't you know we probably haven't won as many games over the last month is because We've had to rotate Parasitch in because there's no other left wing back. <laughs> Those are our two left wing backs. Yeah. And he also plays left center back. So you can't play Davies everywhere all the time. He's not going to always be able to play. I mean, going forward now, I feel like he'll play every game for sure. Probably would be nice and, if we still had Doc on the books right now. So consider he could play out on the left there too. I mean, that's I what mean, he Emerson, pretty good at. Emerson yeah. didn't play too bad on the left the other day, but. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't do well with Sun. I think. I think him and Sun wouldn't work out together for too long. But in a pinch, I feel like we could do that again. What is? How long is Sess out? Is he? He's not out for the season, is he? I mean, with Sess, you never know. I feel like his stuff is always muscular. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like I. I mean, we've. He'll come. He'll come back and play fifteen minutes, and then we'll find out that he's hurt again two days later. I'm. I'm definitely not. Holding my he's breath. He's probably going to be out one. until after the international break. He's expected to come back early April. So, I mean, well, I was trying to think who else played left back last year. I, I mean, I remember Doherty played some at Regulon. the end of the season. Sergio. Oh, regular, yeah. And he's not really. I know he had a lot of injury trouble earlier. He just started year. playing again. Yeah, like he just started playing again like a week or two ago. He's yeah. been he's been injured pretty much all season. Right. Well, the other part that we've glossed right over <laughs> is obviously after that awful Champions League performance, it was pretty much uh, Conte out was as loud as it's ever been. And I think not only just the fans, but also just his post-match commentary and the things that he's been saying for a while now led a lot of people to believe that this was kind of the end of the road. whether we were going to wait the rest of the season out, whether he should be sacked. That was pretty much the conversation with the understanding that in either event, he wasn't going to be back next season. And I think the win against Forrest has kind of quieted some of that noise, but not completely. Um, I personally, I feel like we had this conversation a couple episodes ago and I was kind of like, you know, if he stays another year, then whatever. But I think a lot of what he's been saying combined with the poor results, combined with the really eyesore football have kind of made me feel like, yeah, this dude needs to go. I do feel like, yes, it's nice to get a win. It's nice to score three goals, but I don't think it necessarily fixes everything that's come out. And and, and when I say everything that he's been saying, what I mean by that is like, he does kind of take a, hey, I'm just kind of here doing you guys a favor. This team is crap. There's not much I can do with it. You know, the other day he's saying like, you know, if we win, if we get fourth place, top four is basically like winning the Premier League. Like, what does that even mean? What do you, why would you say that? Pr- primarily, 
when our biggest rival is top of the league, like that is actually not what you need to be saying. And I think there is a difference. And I think the Conte supporters or the people who are Conte in are kind of saying like, well, you know, he's just being realistic. The team's not good enough. And like, yes, there are plenty of deficiencies with our current squad. Any Spurs fan will be quick to tell you that. However, if this is the squad that you inherited and this is the squad that you signed up and you're getting, what, 15 million a year to coach, simply saying like we're not good enough and the fans should lower their expectations is not really what any fan base wants to hear. And I feel like he's he should be savvy enough to know that that isn't going to be like, oh, yeah, I guess we are shit. So we should just sit there and be happy clappers while we lose to teams that are clearly worse than us. Like, I I don't like the approach uh, that he takes. And I also wonder how that encourages the team to play any better when they're basically hearing their coach say, you guys aren't very good and I don't have very high expectations for you. So for me, like I'm I'm ready for us to part ways at this point just because I don't I I always thought that Spurs and Conte were a wonky match. I was actually really really surprised that we signed him in the first place because it just we don't operate as a club that does things the way that he wants things done and more specifically the way that he's won things. Like we just don't operate that way. Um, and so for me, it was always kind of a weird match. And I think like if we get top four again, that is great. I would love for us to be back in the Champions League. That's quite frankly, all we have to root for for the rest of the season anyway. But dealing with another year of lowered expectations and poor cup performances it might be a little bit more than I'm willing to handle. I'm just curious to know where you guys stand on it. I'm sure everybody was really pissed after the Milan match. Maybe the forest thing changes things, maybe not. But, you know, Kim, maybe we'll we'll start with you and then go to Ben. Like, how are you with the whole Conte thing? How have you been taking everything that's been going on around him? I mean, I I feel like ugh, this is, it's hard. Like, I don't like the way Conte has been leading this team. And it, that's been disappointing. But we're still, like, if if we run off like the next like six results, we'll be in the race for top four again. So I think I'm willing to let him try to fight for top four. And if we get it, we get it, but I don't want to see him as my coach next year. I think that's where I stand. I'm like, if you want to stick around and you want to get us top four and then you want to go home to Italy and live, be my guest. <laughs> Facts. Honestly, be, be my guest. Facts. Um, but I, I don't really want his sort of like he he's like bringing the vibe down <laughs> you said the right he's word like a vibe you killer yeah you said the right word like the way that he leads like I, I feel like it's it's a lack of leadership like it's not that's not how I want my coach to talk about the club that he's managing like I mean I you ever. even say like what Richarlison was very mad about is Conte told me if I like pass a late fitness test, he'll start me. And then he didn't start me and then didn't tell me why. Like he that's exactly what Richarlison said. So it's like to me, that's just goes to show like Conte's not talking to his guys. Like, if you're gonna tell him he's not starting, you should at least have and you told him if he passed this fitness test, he'll start. If you say those words, then you should also be able to tell him why he's not starting. And so, yeah, I understand why Richarlison was frustrated. I mean, I probably wouldn't have gone on Brazilian TV and, and you know, talked about it, but I understand why he was frustrated. And apparently, like, Richarlison apologized and Conte also was like, he's probably the best possible option for me to win this game. So, like, he did have to, like, take that, honestly, in my opinion. Like, Conte was trying to deflect, but to me, it 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 all went in the way Richarlison wanted it to when it was all said and done. Like, he started the next match. And played uh, and played very very well. Played the best exactly. game probably all season, except for the one where he scored a hat uh, a double. So so Ben, like, where yeah, are you yeah. at with it? I, I think I'm I'm pretty much in the same spot. Like I, I I definitely don't want to see him back here next year. I'll say that I've been on I I feel like I've been that way for a while now. To be honest, because I just didn't see things turning around based on the way that how like 
you know, inflexible Conte is and how kind of surly and grumpy he is about, again, his disassociation from the team. He's been like that pretty much the whole time he's been here. Um, and then say when we when we bought players that were more in the mold that he would like, aside from Spence, who he made clear was not his choice, which, again, I feel like is a, an odd thing to have to point out. Um, he's but, also said as much about Dan Juma as, as recently yeah, as like yeah. a week ago. So and it's again, it's kind of talking out of place like that's something that you can you know, you don't need to, to tell everybody about that. Like what what are, what are you what is anybody gaining from that except for you again? kind of distancing yourself from some of the other decision makers like oh that one's just because I don't play him or because he doesn't do well that's not on me because I never wanted him in the first place like I don't I just don't see what what's the what's the positive that he's going to get out of that except for distancing himself from the um you know like the I guess having poor decisions in, in the transfer market uh, he, he did a lot of that when he first started too uh about talking about some of our our past poor for transfers and how we can't do that. And he's not wrong about that stuff. But for instance, over this last summer, when we did buy some players that he would want, you know, Parasich and a bunch of the, the guys that we did bring in more in his vein, he seemed to go out of his way to say that this isn't going to be all, you can't take care of it all in one window. And that that's the amount of players that he could kind of bring into the team at the same time. But then he almost immediately after the window closes, kind of turns around and makes it sound as if he doesn't have the resources and it's not enough. And he, he has been preaching patience the whole year, but you would you would expect to see some kind of upward traje- traje- trajectory with our um, the way we're playing. And it's not that we are all demanding that we win the league this year. It was that we want to see a progression, you know, going forward and at the very least staying where we are, not going backwards from last year and from earlier this season. Um, so I, I'm torn between just letting him finish out the year, have the consistency, hopefully he can bring us top four, um, or potentially you, you do usually get a bounce when you bring in a new manager. I don't want to have a caretaker manager. I really don't want to have Ryan Mason take care of the team for 10 games or whatever it may be. I don't He's see one of our own. But you, But you know, if Conte gets fired, it's gonna Mason's be a character, baby. Manager. It's Mason's up, baby. Mason. Yeah. Mason's up. Like, yeah, I've already been that's... hearing that Mason has been. You know, he's a better. Like, he's become a better coach. So they're just. I mean, that's great. I just for the eventuality that he's gonna. That's be great. I just think I would like to see Ryan Mason prove himself as a manager at a <laughs> championship team or a lower level Premier League team before coming back to us, rather than no. just getting thrown in the spotlight. I, I, I think that. If we if we know who we want as our next manager, that's the other thing. Is I mean, you remember the 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 dumb manager uh, hunt that we went on before we ended up. With oh, the, the what was it? I mean, Fifty eight days without a manager, whatever. It was. Right. So my, like my thing is, I think it's important to have a list. I think it's important to vet a list. Your list shouldn't be public, and it shouldn't take you ten months to find the manager. I think those are the stipulations. I think like, all those not, things are true. It's just like you should have a list. You should vet that list. You should talk to multiple candidates. You should you should be doing all that. It just should you not mean, be the way due we do diligence. Do it. <laughs> be like thorough. That. Yeah, I, I would expect that from a multi billion dollar. Uh, or I don't know how much exactly, but you would think that they would be able to do that. I think that there's uh, the director of football question probably needs to be. Uh, resolved before, before that the, the director of football question is the nicest way you could put that situation. yeah our, uh, yeah i mean we, we need to figure out you know what is what is Pratichi's future here though i mean we he should obviously These have are... a heavy say in in if we do you know who the next manager is if he is still going to be moving forward as the director of football here so these are questions that need answers all of these questions need answers so i mean that's so the I, thing like i'm i'm with you guys in terms of like him finishing out the season and that's mostly just because you don't trust I, him to I, make good decisions in that short of a time <laughs> span right yes <laughs> yes but also i was just going to say like personally like i don't even know who I want our next manager to be. And it's not like I see the obvious person sitting right there. I know a lot of people are clamoring for Pochettino. I'm not really there yet. Um, But I, I, I feel like if there was an obvious choice that was just sitting on the shelf, then I would say like, let's fire Conte and get that guy in here as quickly as possible. I don't really know who that person is. I do think whoever we have coaching the team in August needs to not be a Jose or a Conte. Like, we need to go back to who we are. <laughs> we I mean, need a, a 
We need a project manager who's going to be willing to like actually coach guys up and make players better and not someone who wants to buy the players they want and then pout if they don't get them. Like we can't operate with those types of coaches because that's not how we operate as a club. And if we're not going to get somebody in there like that, then it's going to be Conte all over again. So whoever that person is, I want us to hire some coach that I never even heard of before who's going to come in (laughs) and he's just going to be fresh blood. That's going to just like do things his way and not have all this baggage of, Oh, I won everywhere else. And so everyone needs to listen to me. Like, no, like he's going to work with the club. The club's going to work with him. That is what we need. We don't need any of these big name guys anymore that we've tried that and it hasn't worked. So you do want Ryan Mason. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Maybe I do. Maybe I do. I don't know. Honestly, you're right. Someone that's going to lean into development because I feel like that's what we've lacked over the last, like, uh, you know, a couple years, few years. Well, that's why everybody's seeing our guys develop. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. I think think my big hesitation with Pochettino is like, I just don't think you can catch lightning in a bottle twice. I think what he did his first time with us was so special. And for us to have him come back and just expect him to do that all over again, yeah. I feel like he's not coming through that door. He's not coming through that door. A young Kane is not just coming through that squad. I and mean, there's a lot of, um, yeah, a young and Hugo. I mean, and so I that's agree. the thing. I mean, whoever comes is going to have tools. They're going to have the pop stars. They're going to have the Benson Kurs and the Kulisevskis and the Ali Skips and all these guys that are under 25 who are still figuring out how to be really good footballers. Like they're going to have some things at their disposal, not to mention the greatest goal scorer in England. Well, not this year, but <laughs> the greatest, the greatest English, English goal scorer. The, the, the greatest, greatest English, the greatest English goal scorer. <laughs> goal scorer. Um, so no, I, I think like, I, I, like I... you're going to have that. So like, it's not like somebody who's going to come in and be like, I don't know what to do with this team. But all these big name guys are basically coming in and doing that. So, like, just don't hire those guys anymore. Hire guys that are going to look at our team and say, like, oh, I can actually build something with this. It seems obvious to me. And if it's some schmuck from Turkey who I never heard of before, great. Perfect. As long as he could come in and do a job, I don't need to know who he is. Yeah, and I I think I agree that what you were saying about Poach, though, is that I'm not against him coming back, to be honest, but I do think people are deluding themselves a little bit to think that that's 100 going to fix things, because I think that he's got a decent chance of it. But like you just said, there was a lot of there were a lot of, um, I guess, fortunate things that happened during his tenure. Like a lot of people remember how many times did Kane get loaned out and he never looked like he was going to potentially even be a Premier League starter, let alone one of the best strikers in the history of the league. Um, again, Dembele was a once in a generation type talent in midfield. I mean, people just bounced off of him the way he could dribble through and around people. We haven't seen anybody else in the premier league of that, you know, of that vein since then. Um, hopefully, I mean, some Indolo of that Conte is probably the closest. This is probably the closest. I mean, it's different style, but yeah, different style. Of, yeah. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's just, I think that you're asking for quite a bit for him to just come in and turn things around. And I think that people will have to be patient. It's going to take us a little while to pull ourselves out of this tailspin that we've been on since hiring three, you know, pragmatic quote unquote managers in a row. Our team uh, is not set up for, he said, there are a lot of young pieces that we could do a lot of things with. But, man, there's a whole lot of squad that we're going to have to to rebuild. I mean, our entire defense at this point, other than right back, basically, and then hopefully left back, actually, with uh, Ndogi. But our center backs, like, I mean, uh, uh, Romero, I don't think Romero's going to stick around here that long, to be honest. I just, he seems like the kind of player that's going to want to move to Real Madrid or Barcelona or City or one of these bigger teams because he knows that he is, you know, he's of that caliber of player. And I could just see him getting kind of getting, getting sick of the, uh, unless we could turn things around quickly, I could see him getting sick of being parentally, um, you know, underperforming. If I don't know if that's exactly what it is. It's where, again, if you look at just the money, but you have to think that some of those players that want to win titles 
are not going to want to wait a year or two for a project when they felt like they were brought in as potentially the missing piece when we were uh, considered to be more in competition with that. So I, I, I just, I, I think our defense is going to need a complete overhaul. Um, I think that our uh, attacking front three, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen with Kane's contract situation. Sonny's already on the wrong side of 30. Kuliseski is young. So I would think that he would be part of that, but man, we're, we're really going to need to finally do big pieces of the rebuild in the next year or two at the very latest, I would think. So yeah, we, we do need a well, project manager for that. Right. That is, that is what I'm looking at. Well, before we wrap up looking ahead to this weekend, we have Southampton and that is going to be an away match at what is those where do they play? St. Mary's park. I think it's called St. Mary's. Yeah. Uh, Southampton is bad. They are very bad. They are actually bottom of the league bad. They're sitting on 22 points with 26 games played. They have a goal differential of minus 21. They have scored 20 goals all season. So, you know, all the signs point to this being a, a match that we should clean up in. But our form on the road has not been good. The last game that we won on the road, I got to scroll up here a while to, to actually find one. Uh, ooh. The last game we won on the road was Preston North End in the fourth round of the FA Cup. <laughs> uh, so if we're if we're if you're keeping track at home, that includes losses to Leicester City, to AC Milan, to Sheffield United and to Wolves. So two two very powerful forces, uh, really butting heads here. Kim, let's start with you. Predictions for Saturday. Uh, so Southampton looks like they have a midweek match against Brentford. Yeah, I think so, they play tomorrow. Well, it'll be today yeah, by the time you guys well, hear this. Exactly. So that gives us a week rest. So it gives them like three three days. Um think that will be helpful so i'm gonna go two one i feel like ward prowse probably gets like a free kick it's probably it's like the only way they score that is really they do they do not score goals so yeah i'll probably go two one to spurs that's fair um yeah i think this is a game that we should win i hate making these predictions because it's kind of what you were saying earlier about like if we show up um it's, it's, <laughs> this is like this is like the motto of the season it's like the, the top the, four pushes the, on like the, we have the 22 23 tottenham hotspur season if we show up we, yeah. we really like we have winnable fixtures like in the next month like i mean we have a break but still in the next month we have went games that we should win: Southampton, Everton, Brighton, and Bournemouth. Like we could win all those. We could and should win all those games, honestly. So, yeah, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna say two nil win, just because I don't feel like they have any goals in them. I think it'll be a more difficult game than the Forest match, but I think with Kane he'll probably be able to score at least one. And then maybe we get one from somewhere else. I'm very interested to see what happens with that front three, because I feel like after the game that Richie just played, you, you almost pretty much have to give him another start. The question is, do you keep the same lineup? If we're, if we know Conte, then that's probably exactly what he's going to do. But uh, who, who knows? Uh, Kulisevsky hasn't really done enough to earn a start right now. So for me, I think, keeping the lineup makes a lot of sense. And maybe, maybe you bring Royale back in, but against a team like Southampton, maybe you don't need to. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go two nil. I think Emerson might actually, he might've got injured, but I think he didn't play last match. Right. Like at all. He wasn't in the team at all. I think he picked up a knock. So he just, he might not, he might not be available, but we'll have to see uh, once the press conference happens later this week on injuries yeah i like to think of it as uh the the 2-1 picking a 2-1 scoreline is like crossing your fingers for spurs basically because you don't trust them enough to score more than two goals obviously and you don't trust them enough to keep a clean sheet but you're praying for a win so you're like 2-1 
because, um, <laughs> I mean, how often are you going to pick, like, realistically at this stage of the season? I don't know, you just picked a clean sheet there, Joel. But they, you said it as you were picking it. It's because you don't think Southampton can score goals. <laughs> not yeah. that we could not concede them. Oh, no. Um, yeah, that pick has nothing to do with Spurs defense. Yeah, at it's all. not showing confidence in our defense. Um, it's just I, the fact that they've scored 20 goals in 26 games. I mean, that they do not score goals. Also, yeah, I, I will I will note though the the last the last team I said that about was Wolves and they were able to beat us. They've also only scored say, 20 goals this season. Have they gotten to play against and, Eric Dyer anytime lately? And Forrest yeah. has only scored 21 goals. So, like, you know, we will let in a goal against a bad team. We have we almost let in two against the four. I mean, that was a Forster penalty save to uh Save some blushes on that one. Um, I can't believe we haven't we didn't spend any time talking about Fraser Forster, but my goodness, I mean, I have not missed Hugo at all. <laughs> like, oh, I haven't even like I'm not even worried about him coming back. I'm just like I I'm fine with us having it's, Fraser back there for the rest of the season, especially with us playing one game a week. I'm fine with it. This Keep is the in. kind of thing that just sh- like a competent goalkeeper showed us just how incompetent our goalkeeper was. Like. Hugo was good for like an amazing save, but this year, outside of that, he has—he's not good with his feet. His distribution's terrible. I feel like the back line is just more settled when Forster's in there because they're he's not afraid gonna to like... pass it back to Hugo. I mean, Hugo was like, <laughs> like a yeah, I feel like when they're like, all right, we got to pass it back. Like they know Forster's gonna get the ball and he's just gonna move it along and it's gonna go to the right person. It's gonna go where they want it to, where he wants it to most of the time. Like I feel like he just gives them. A level of calm in the back that Hugo just doesn't like. He seems like unflappable. I really yeah. kind of feel like I that. wish like, that weren't true, like... to be honest, just because I, I do love Hugo, but man, it, it really is. Um, Hugo it, has it, been an amazing servant to the club. For a decade. I mean, yeah, I mean, this, I mean, nobody's, nobody's going to be talking about this season at the end of his career, but this is just yeah. when we're talking about this season, we got to talk about the fact that he's bad right now. That's just what it is. Yeah. So it's having all said all that, uh, I'm going to go with 2-1 Spurs. <laughs> <laughs> Got no confidence. So, so the, the the good old the good old crink, finger crossing. Yeah, exactly. I got both, good old finger both crossing. Fingers cross, crossing my toes right now at this point. Oh, All right, goodness. well there we go. Well, let's uh let's see how it goes. Like Kimmy said, hopefully this is a nice little win streak that we can use to kind of build up some momentum before we have that big death knell of south of what is it newcastle liverpool newcastle, united, united back to back to back well after this southampton game we'll get an international break so then there will not be any more Premier league matches until the month of april so it would be nice to go out with a win so let's hope that we get one in st mary's and come on you spurs come on you spurs come on you spurs Yeah.